You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Doug Robbins. <laughs> Man, it's good to see you today. Well, what do you say we pray first before we get into the Bible study today? And if you're comfortable to, during our prayer time, just put your hand out in a position to receive. Uh, if you are new to church or putting your hand out is too weird for you, then you can take a pass. Uh, but for the rest of us, let's pray together. God, would you please speak to us? We're listening for you. We want to receive from you a word about our lives today. Thank you for what you're going to speak to us. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Well, uh, I want to encourage you guys before I get into the Bible study today, and here's why I want to encourage you, because some of you know that recently we had a parking change where we don't have the lot across the tracks anymore, but we got this better lot where it's like a parking garage, which is going to be great. It's going to be covered during the summer. Also, we won't have to fight with the trains. You know, you'll park on this side of the tracks. You won't get blocked from your car, blocked from church. However, what came to my mind was how some people would never come to church down here. And the reason being is that parking is harder in the urban core than it is, say, if you're out at a big church in the uh, suburbs where they have big parking lots, you know, and all of that. Uh, so what we do is we weed out the weak ones with the parking situation down here. See what I mean? Because there's such a thing as a consumer Christian, and then there's the committed Christian, right? And the consumer Christian is the one that says, I want everything to be comfortable for me, me, me. See, and uh, we weed them out with the parking situation. But then there are the committed types that say, I'm not going to let something like parking stand in the way of my worship of God. And here's why I want to encourage you, because you guys are not of the consumer type. You guys continue to come deal with parking, you come in here and worship, and you serve. And so my hat's off to you. It's one of the reasons why I love being your pastor, you know? And can you imagine someday standing before Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, and he's the one that challenged us to take up our cross and follow him, and someone says, nah, I decided not to. Parking was a little rough. See, you're not among that group. And I thank God for you. So I hope you'll receive that encouragement. Now, in case you're new here, we've been in this series of teachings called 21 Days of Prayer in which we've been fasting, we've been abstaining from certain foods and social media during these 21 days. And by the way, the fast is over after church today. Is anybody excited about that? <laughs> Woo! Some of us are like, yeah. Everybody's going to be hopped up on coffee, looking at their social media, uh, all of that, all kinds of things that we're going to enjoy after church today. But the first week of the series, we said we're praying and fasting so that everyone would win one. That's why you see all these little magnets on the front of the stage and on the back of the sound booth and in the video cafe is that you guys wrote down the names of people that you're praying for, that they would be able to have an encounter with God and come to know Jesus. And so uh, everyone win one. That's an idea that we're going to come back to throughout the rest of this year. But in week two, we looked more at listening 
prayer. And one of the things that we saw there is that hearing from God is far more relational than it is informational, right? God didn't want us to just come to church to get full of facts, but he wants us to know him more intimately in relationship. And some of you are here last week and Pastor Humby had an awesome word, didn't he? And the word was like, uh, it was like, Terco, let's go, right? You got to, when you hear from God, you have to obey that word and go. In fact, in my opinion, that's the best talk I've ever heard Pastor Humby give. Would you guys join me in thanking Humby for an awesome talk last week? That was fantastic. Now, with all that said, here's what I know. And this is what I had a sense of as I was thinking about this service today and praying, you know, just God, what are you thinking? What are the people thinking? And some of you, I believe, are thinking, you know, I hear all those glory stories of people hearing from God and stepping out in faith and doing all these great things, but I just don't seem to ever hear from God. Some perhaps are thinking, you know, God is, it's like he's speaking a different language. I just don't understand. And maybe you feel like that German bank robber, (laughs) maybe you've heard this story, this bank robber comes from Germany to Texas and he didn't know English Um, But he was really great at robbing banks, and so he starts having a heyday robbing these banks here in South Texas. So they put a reward out on him, dead or alive, catch this guy. And you got a better reward if you would not only catch the German bank robber, but also retrieve the loot, the money. So this uh, Texas Ranger goes after him, and he starts hunting for this German bank robber. And on a hunch, he finds him in a bar in New Braunfels. You know, a lot of German people in New Braunfels. And so there were three people in the bar. There was the bartender, there was the bank robber, and then there was this scrawny older dude in the back of the bar. And uh, the, the ranger storms in there, and he holds the gun up to the bank robber, and he says, give me all the loot. You're coming with me. You're under arrest, all this kind of stuff. But the bank robber doesn't understand English, so he doesn't understand what he's saying. But as it turns out, the scrawny guy in the back of the bar was an attorney. And he spoke English and German. So he very quickly stepped in to be the interpreter there. And he explains, he's trying to explain what's going on. Uh, The the, the ranger says, well, you tell him that I'm going to take him to jail and that he better tell me where the money is that he's hid from those banks that he's robbed. And so he tells him. But the the bank robber, was he could tell by the body language of the, the ranger that he was about to get shot if he didn't do something. So he just blurts out in German to the attorney. He says, hey. I, I tell him, I hid the money. Uh, it's, it's underneath, it's buried underneath the, that little barn that's just outside of town. And I haven't told anybody where the money is. And the ranger very quickly says to the attorney, he's like, what did he say? What did he say? Translate it for me. And the attorney says, he says, you don't have the guts to shoot me, you Yankee pig. <laughs> so maybe you feel like you don't always get God's messages just right. But um, that's a little goofy, I know. But I want to encourage you today with this one idea. And it's this, that God speaks to the silent and still, not to the Marthas who need to chill. I'm going to explain what I mean by that in just a minute. But how about we say that idea together? But here's how it'll work, is that I'll say the majority of the transforming idea, and you guys just say the last three words when I point to you, need to chill. You ready? And if you're in the video cafe, if you're watching online at home, let's do this together. Here we go. God speaks to the silent and still, not to the Marthas who? Need to chill. Good, need to chill. Now, some of you are new to church and you're like, who the heck is Martha? And I don't want to ruin the whole thing. If your name is Martha, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about uh, a lady in the Bible. We'll see her in Luke chapter 
10, verse 39 through 42, uh, where we see this lesson of stillness. There was a lady named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet doing what? Listening to what he said. But Martha was what? Distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. (laughs) Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what's better. You know, Martha wasn't a bad person. Martha had a gift of hospitality, and you know hospitality is honored in the Bible. It was a great gift. But it's the timing in which she wanted to exercise her gift of hospitality. This particular Mary didn't know that this was a time to sit at the feet of Jesus. She was always in a hurry. She's always scurrying around. She is always doing something. Now, if I were to ask you, what is the greatest barrier to your personal spiritual growth? What do you think you would say? And as you think about, in there, think about that in your mind, some of you perhaps are saying, well, now, my spiritual growth barrier would probably be doubt or it would be like anxiety or depression or temptation. Um, and as you think about that question... I want you to think about something that John Ortberg said. Uh, He's a pastor and author who lives in the Bay Area. And one of the things that's fascinated me about John Ortberg over the past many years that I've been reading his material and listening to him, and he was mentored by none other than Dallas Willard. Now, if the, the name Dallas Willard doesn't mean anything to you, he was a professor at USC. He was like a Jesus guru. He wrote a book that everyone should read called Spirit of the Disciplines. Um, so uh, as Dallas Willard was mentoring John Ortberg, Ortberg called him on the phone one day and says, Dallas, you know, my spiritual life has just been stuck. I just don't seem to be moving forward or growing in my faith. He says, what do you suggest? What do you think? And there was a long pause and a silence on the other end of the phone. Because Dallas Willard never said anything without thinking about it first. And then he comes out with this line. Dallas Willard says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And Ortberg says, yeah, that's really great. What else? And Dallas Willard said, there's nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And then there's Carl Jung. Some of you perhaps have taken the Myers-Briggs personality test. This is the guy that created it. He said, hurry isn't of the devil. It is the devil. Because it keeps us distracted from the things that we need to be focusing on in our lives. You know, I learned from a pastor named John Mark Comer about the three major time and work shifts in human history. And if you go back to 1370, that's when the first public clock went up in Cologne, Germany. Now, prior to that time, monks had created the clock in order to abide by fixed hour prayer. But this was the first public clock that went up. And immediately following many of the towns and cities in Europe had these public clocks up. If you've traveled to Europe, you've no doubt seen some clock in the town square, but it changed the way that people interacted with time. People used to just interact with the sun. If the sun was up, you got up and you worked or you lived. When the sun went down, then you would go 
to sleep, but this changed everything in 1370. But then fast forward to 1879. This is the year that Edison invented the light bulb. And prior to that time, humans would get 11 hours sleep every night. Some of you have teenagers that are going old school. They still get 11 hours of sleep at night, but most of us do not, and that changed the game as well. What followed Edison's invention of the light bulb were many other time-saving types of inventions. So uh, many years later, it's like the washing machine and the microwave, all this stuff that's supposed to save us time. Yet since the 1970s, Americans are getting 37% less leisure time than what we used to get. Why is that so? Where did all that time go? Our time is perhaps being wasted, but let me show you the third of the transforming events of history related to our time, and it's 2007, the release of the iPhone. Now Marthas have a device in their hand that can keep them busy all day long, every second of the day. And even though the smartphone is a time-saving device, Um, psychologists are now having to talk about what's called hurry sickness, these continual hurried thoughts or anxious thoughts. So I was doing this reading by Philip Zimbardo. He's a professor at Stanford and uh, one of the authors of the book, The Time Cure, Overcoming PTSD with the New Psychology of Time Perspective Therapy. And what he does is he gives you these symptoms of hurry sickness. So I'll show them to you on screen and you tell me if you suffer from any of these Uh, symptoms of hurry sickness. Look at the first one. Moving from one checkout line to another because it looks shorter and faster. Anybody do that? You go to HEB and you change lanes, the faster one there. And I I struggle with that one too. And I'll tell you what happens with me is that not only do I change lanes according to the checker, but I judge the checker and I watch how competent they are. You know, (laughs) they're not fast enough. I'm not going in that lane. And, you know, Pastor Robbie and I were talking about this last week, and we were talking about how, you know, in that express lane, it says 15 items or less. Well, 15 items or less means 15 items or less. Don't you hate that person that, like, lugs the U-Haul up there to the <laughs> checkout counter and tries to get out of there? It's like, come on, man, get out of my way. Now, I'll tell you, uh, this is just for free here, but I, I thank God for the self-checkout line. That just saved my life, man. I just love it. it th- yeah, yeah, you can applaud self-checkout at H-E-B. I love it. Um, But look at number two there. Counting the cars in front of you and either getting in the lane that has the least or is going the fastest. Anybody besides me do that? Okay, yeah. And a part of my thinking in that is also, I will judge the driver. And if I see some drivers up there that look a little older, that they might go slower. I'm not getting behind that older person, man, because they'll slow me down. And then I look at the make and model of the car because I'm going to try and get behind the Mustang sports car. I don't want to get behind, never get behind the Cadillac or the Buick, okay? Now, look, I, I know Matthew McConaughey does the Buick commercials, but I've never seen someone like Matthew McConaughey uh, in a Buick, okay? Sorry if you drive a Buick, no judgment there. I just don't want to drive behind you. This, this is what they think. But then the third one is, accidentally putting your clothes on inside out or backwards. Will you check someone's shirt in front of you just to make sure that there's, you know, not a tag going on there? But these are the symptoms. Anybody deal with any of those symptoms of hurry in your life? Yeah, me too. And maybe I have a fair amount of inner Martha in me. Inner Martha. So what's the solution? Well, I think we've already seen is that God speaks to the silent and still 
not to the Marthas who. Thank you for the three of you that got that. I'm going to try it one more time. God speaks the silent and still, not to the Marthas who. That's pretty solid. All right. Now, we always hear these things, and you tell me if you've ever heard this. Someone ever told you, don't just sit there, do something. You ever hear that? And you know what? That's true a lot of the times. But there are also times where I believe that God would say to us, don't just do something, sit there. And you know why? Because we want to hear from God about the right thing to do next. How many of you like me have a million options in front of you of things you could do? And what we want to do is hear from God about the right next thing to do. Let's look at silence for a minute and solitude of Jesus. We'll see it in several different passages. I'll just roll through these really quickly. Luke chapter 5, verse 15, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And then as you fast forward to Mark chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. So there's nothing wrong with getting away to the lake. And then in Matthew 14, 13, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And then there's Matthew 14, 23, where the Bible says, after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was still there alone. He spent plenty of time Alone, And now look at Acts chapter 8, verse 32, when Luke here is actually quoting Isaiah from the Old Testament, talking about how Jesus was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. Now what you got to understand, Jesus opened his mouth plenty and he taught the multitudes. He spoke and sometimes he got amped up. Check out that story where he cleared the, you know, money changers out of the temple. And Jesus was busy a lot of the time. But he always knew when to chill. He worked and then he knew when to sit still and listen and be quiet and say nothing. In parts of the Bible, you'll see where Jesus didn't do anything unless he heard from the father about what he's to do. He only did what the Father told him to do. But in our culture, we live in this world of noise, and it's tempting to want to make a lot of noise and listen to a lot of noise. It's kind of like that couple, married couple, you know, where the wife is saying to her husband, honey, how come you're whispering all the time? He's like, he's whispering. And she says, why why are you whispering? And he says, well, I'm afraid that Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook is listening to my conversations. And she laughed, and he laughed, and Alexa laughed, and Siri laughed, you know. So they all just laughed, right? So we we live in this world where it's easier. The best listeners are actually our artificial intelligence, right? So we go to loud restaurants, don't we? We go to loud concerts, and Martha's always have to be at the concert, because YOLO, right? You only live once. Um, or she looks on her social media, and if she's not at the concert that she wants to be at, she's like, FOMO, you know, fear of whatever, YOLO, FOMO. But our nervous systems are not designed to handle all the stimuli that we're bringing our way, are they? It's breaking us. And so um, not only are Martha's always having to be those places, but they're always touching their phones. There's a D-Scout research firm, and they studied the typical cell phone user 
practices, I guess, and they found that the average cell phone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day. Um, but that's not including the power users. I would add, like, you know, my teenage daughter, uh, they touch their phones 5,400 times per day. That's a lot of phone touches because Martha's always love to touch their phones. But Jesus says, if you want to hear from me, you have to chill. And that's why um, I started evaluating how I use my phone. And I wondered... What would Jesus' phone be like if he had a phone? What would he have on there? How would he use his phone? And that led me to this article called The Distraction-Free Phone. Now, this article does what you would expect it to do. In a brief part of the article, it explains what I think you and I already know. And let me show you that part that we already know. Numerous studies have tied heavy smartphone use and social media in particular with negative moods, anxiety, and even depression. But the part of the article that was most interesting to me is when the author, Mike Schmitz, explained what a distraction-free phone actually is. And the basic idea is this. You look on your phone and you determine the apps that align most with your personal values and who you want to be, how you want to live. And you put those on your home screen and then you either move or eliminate all the rest, so there's not clutter on your home screen. So uh, as I decided to apply this to my phone, I brought a picture of my home screen. And you can see, this is what, if you, you pull up my phone right now, this is what you'll see on the home screen. There's like seven apps there. Because if I have too much there, my mind will get cluttered. I'll get distracted, see? So all I have there are a few apps. One is my Bible.is app. There's my audiobooks and podcast apps. There's MindNode, which is a, a, an app I use to create mind maps of my sermons that I'm creating. Then there's the Echo Prayer app and Day One Journal, but there's not much more than that. It's not that I deleted the other apps. It's that I moved them to further screens so I have to do more work to get to them. And when I pull up my phone, I'll be focused on the apps that are in alignment with the person that I'm trying to become. Does that make sense? And so when you look at your phone, uh, does it create anxiety? Does it create clutter in your mind or does it create clarity? Because remember, when you look at your phone, God speaks to the silent and still, not to the Marthas who what? need to chill. Good, good. Now, one of the reasons that we've said that sitting still and hearing from God is significant and important is because it helps inform the next action that we're going to take. And if you go back to Martha just for a minute, do you think that uh, Martha wishes that she had got just another Pinteresty looking place setting in front of Jesus at that dinner? Or do you think maybe that she looks back after Jesus was gone and says, I wished I could have just spent more time sitting at his feet listening, being in his presence. I was so busy, I was not present with him in that moment. And as I thought about this regarding our everyone win one, you know, every week we've been looking at these little prayer magnets on the front of the stage. I thought to myself, you know, I wonder if God wants us to listen today about how we're to love and serve and do something kind for the people that we're praying for. Because we don't just pray for people, you know, like there's some project, but these are people that we love and that we care about. 
And I think in the future, we'll look back on now and say, man, it's not that I needed to just do more stuff, but I need to do important things. I need to love and serve this individual person that I care about. And here's why that's significant today. Because you just don't know when your window of opportunity to love and serve one, someone is going to close. As I was praying about this, thinking about this, um, it reminded me of an experience I had of a prompting that I got sitting in listening prayer last year. I was sitting there just listening to the Lord, and the prompting came to me of something that I really didn't want to do uh, during that couple-of-day period. I was sitting one day listening to the Lord, and the prompting was, go visit your old buddy, Dennis Maples. Some of you remember Dennis Maples. I brought a picture of Dennis today. Um, Some of you saw him serving here at the church for for many, many years. And part of the reason I didn't want to go visit him, he was in the hospitals, because Dennis was in the hospital all the time. And a lot of us who knew Dennis well, you know, he, he would call us for all kinds of stuff, you know, and um, sometimes you didn't want to go. But the prompting was real intense this day. And it's like, you need to go. And so I called Dennis and I arranged to go visit him uh, where he was receiving care. And I got there and we had a good conversation. And, you know, I reaffirmed my love for him and tried to encourage him the best I could in his medical team was telling me that he'd be out of the hospital the next week. And I thought to myself, yeah, it's about par for the course, you know, uh, for Dennis. And so I pray with Dennis and I just told him, man, I love you. And we had a good time together. We really did. And I left and I got a call the next morning that his health had taken an unexpected turn and he died. And as I've reflected back on that experience, I don't think that me going to visit Dennis was like some gift from me to him. What I feel really was it's God's gift to me. Because if I would not have followed that prompting that God graciously gave me, I'd be telling a completely different story here today about that. I'm glad I'm not telling the story. I wished I would have followed the prompting and gone to visit Dennis. And it was the last time I would ever see him on this earth. And some of you have people in your life, perhaps people that you've put on these magnets and stuck on here and praying for. I want to invite you to slow down for a minute and be still and listen for how God may want you to serve, love, or help one of these people that you've written on these magnets on stage. At this time, I'm going to invite you to come and kneel at the front to do that praying if you'd like to. If you don't feel comfortable to do that and you'd rather go to the aisle or just stay in your seat, that's fine too. You can pay attention to the screen to see instructions on how we hear from God and listen for the voice and the thoughts that come from the Holy Spirit.
Holy Spirit, thank you for the words and the pictures, the actions that you're sending out into our hearts and minds all over the room. And we pray that we would not be those people who are terco, stubborn, but I pray that we would be the people that are obedient because we don't know what window of opportunity that we have to go and to serve and love others. Holy Spirit, I suspect that oftentimes in environments like this that you're drawing people to yourself unexplainably. Perhaps even those who have never believed. As we continue in prayer, maybe you feel yourself drawn by a loving presence that you've never sensed before. Well, that's God drawing you to himself. If you'd like to know him today, just say something like this in your own heart and mind. Just talk to him. Maybe just pray something like this in your heart. God, look, I know I've screwed some stuff up. I've sinned. But in this moment right now, the best I get it and can comprehend it, I'm choosing to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I welcome you into my life. Father, I thank you for those who just prayed that. And for the rest of us who are having words, I pray that you would protect each word that's going out from you and your spirit today because I'm praying that the birds of the air don't come and pick it like Jesus taught where the enemy is not allowed to steal the words that you've sent out today. I also pray that the thorns don't grow up, the cares of this world don't grow up and choke out those words that you've sent. But I'm asking you, God, that you protect every word that goes out in this place today, that it would bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And all of that fruit will be to your credit, glory, and honor. So we thank you for what you're doing among us. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Amen. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.